0: All right. Thanks, guys, for coming up here. We're going to be reading the 10 ways to be perfect. This is towards the beginning of the Bible in the book of Exodus, chapter 16, 17. So there they all were, grannies, granddads, babies, aunts, uncles, childrens, moms, and dads out there in the middle of the desert. And they had blisters from all the walking. They were hungry and thirsty and much, much too hot. We don't like it, they said. It stinks. And so did they, for that matter, because no one had taken a bath in weeks. Well, now remember, because this is something they had forgotten. God had done amazing things for his people. He had hidden them inside a cloud. He had moved the sea. He set them free. But God's people still weren't happy. They didn't care about being free. Wasn't it better when they were slaves? At least they had lots of nice food to eat. God doesn't want us to be happy, they said. It was the same lie that Adam and Eve had heard all those years before. God has brought us out here to kill us. God doesn't love us. But they didn't know God very well, did they? Well, God called Moses up the mountain. Page-turner here. Every day of their journey... God kept showing up and people how he would look after them if they would trust him and obey him. When they were hungry, God made the sky rain with food, bread coming down from heaven. What is it? They asked each other. They didn't know. And so they called it, what is it? Which of course is a very good name for something when you don't know what it is. But when they were thirsty and started quarreling, God made the water flow from a rock and Moses called that place. Quarreling, because that seemed like a good name too. And still, God's children didn't trust him or do what he said. They thought it would be a better job of looking after themselves and making themselves happy. But God knew there was no such thing as happiness without him. So God led them to a tall mountain, and God wanted to talk to his people and show them what he was like. He wanted to help them know him better and tell them about his special land he was going to give them. The whole earth belongs to me, God said, but I have chosen you. You are my special family. I want you to live in a way that shows everyone else what I'm like, so they can know me too. God called Moses up the mountain. The great mountain shook, a thick cloud fell, and thunder roared. Lightning crackled, and God gave Moses ten rules called commandments. I want you to love me more than anything else in all the world and know that I love you too, God told them. That's the most important thing of all. And God gave them other rules like don't make yourself pretend gods, don't kill people or steal or lie. The rules showed God's people how to live and how to be close to him and how to be happy. They showed how life worked best. God promises to always look after you, Moses said. Will you love him and keep these rules? We can do it. Yeah, we promise. But they were wrong. They couldn't do it. No matter how hard they tried, they could never keep God's rules all the time. And God knew they couldn't. And he wanted them to know it too. See, only one person could keep all the rules. And many years later... God would send him to stand in their place and be perfect for them. Because the rules couldn't save them. Only God could save them. Thanks for listening, guys. You can go back to your parents now.
1: Please stand for the reading of God's word. The passage tonight is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your livestock, or your sojourner who is within your gates. for in the six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
2: Good evening. Great to see everybody. It's so great to be gathering back together again to worship the Lord and to uh, be together and to hear from his word and enjoy the absolutely perfect weather. It's 20 degrees cooler tonight than it was last night. So it's great to be outside doing anything. Naomi's just going to sit right up here. Love it. We are continuing through our series uh, in Exodus, as you just heard Andrew read. Andrew reading the Ten Commandments. Good luck sleeping tonight, kids. But we are continuing through Exodus and we are talking about the law and the commandments and we are breaking it up over two weeks. Uh, The reason is because tonight we're just covering chapter 20 that talks about the 10 commandments and then a good chunk of Exodus talks about the rest of the law and that takes a whole week in and of itself. Um, By way of review... Um, but before I jump into that, I want to let you know where you found the lyrics on the website. You can also find sermon notes. It's a little hard to take notes outside, so you can follow along and at least all of the scriptures that we're going to go through here tonight from the Old and New Testament, you can find there on the notes section and follow along. To review last week, we talked about what it means that the people of God were called a kingdom of priests. Um, They were uh, called by God. They were delivered out of slavery. They were delivered out into the desert. They were delivered through the Red Sea. But we started talking last week, and we'll continue to talk about how God not only delivered his people from something, but he delivered them to something. And that thing that he brought them to was a covenant relationship. With him. He brought them into a covenant relationship. And Exodus 19, verse 8 says, All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do it. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So last week, um, God said, I am going to make you into a kingdom of priests. I'm going to make you into a holy nation. I am going to make you into my people. Now that I have delivered you, I'm going to show you what kind of people I'm calling you to be. And they say, we'll do everything you say, Lord. And then the Lord goes through in Exodus 20 and lays out the Ten Commandments, and then continues through the next few chapters, which we'll take a look at next week, to show them what it means to be in relationship with him. What it means to say, we will do all that you tell us to do. He wants to lay that out as we move into Exodus chapter 20. As we look at the Ten Commandments, it's something that is very familiar to us. Whether we have broken or uh, been Raised, Grown up is the word I was looking for. If we've grown up in the church or not, even the culture is aware of something called the Ten Commandments and probably aware that it comes from the Bible and is part of Judaism or Christianity. It's something that we are all too familiar with. There's much familiarity with them. There's a lot of talk about them. There's also a lot of misunderstanding about what the Ten Commandments are and are not. This is actually the kind of sermon where you've, if you've grown up in the church, there could be an obstacle for you in really focusing in on what God has for us from his word. And that obstacle is familiarity. Often we have heard the Ten Commandments and we think that we know what they say and we think we know the purpose for them. And we kind of think we can just leave it at what Dan just read here for the kids. And while the Jesus Storybook Bible is full of rich theology and I'm so thankful for it, There's more that God has for us as we open up the Ten Commandments. So would you pray with me and we'll jump into the text. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from you tonight. God, we pray that we would see who you are. We would see how good and holy and perfect and just you are. And God, we pray that we would then know how to be and know how to treat others in light of who you are. God, help us to overcome that obstacle of familiarity, thinking we know what the scripture says about these things. And God, we want to hear from you. We want your spirit to speak directly to us as individuals. And then we want you to bring us together as a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, a people called by God to be your good news people. Before I close in prayer, I want to read our psalm for the day for our 40 days of prayer. Psalm 48. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgment walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Amen. God's law and commandments does not start in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 20, we see the Ten Commandments, and then we see a list of laws. We also see in the book of Leviticus, numerous laws that God lays out for his people. But God laying out laws and commandments for his people is nothing new. In fact, it was something that he gave them from the beginning. If we look back to Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17, we read this. And the Lord God commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die god has had commandments and laws for his people from the beginning and as we read these verses and as we read the story of adam and eve and continue on the story through genesis we see that this law and this commandments were to show the heart of god They were also to show mankind the fences around that relationship and that blessing. It was also given consequences. They were given consequences from the beginning if they stepped outside of that law and that commandment. It was part of God's relationship with mankind from the very beginning. So in Exodus 20, as God is making a kingdom of priests for himself, he is further going to elaborate on his law and on his commandments to show who he is and the kind of people they are called to be. So look with me at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words saying, "'I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, "'out of the house of slavery.'" Before we get into the commandments, we need to see here that God reminded his people, I am the God who delivered you. All of these commandments and all of these laws that we're going to cover in the next two weeks are a, after God has redeemed his people, after he has delivered them. Commentator Terrence Frothheim says that the law is a gift from a redeeming God. God starts by redeeming his people. He initiated a covenant relationship with them. We talked about this last week. It is not a relationship where they have earned God's love. It's not based on Moses' merit, Israel's merit, our merit. It's based on God, his grace, his mercy, his choosing, his deliverance. Before we get to Exodus 20, God has redeemed his people. He has met with Moses on the mountain. He has made atonement for them in the Passover. He has provided manna from heaven for them. And he has invited them into this loving covenant relationship. He wants them to keep their love for him strong. He wants them to know his nature and his character. And he wants them to know how to love one another. If we go back to the eagle from last chapter, in chapter 19 last week, we talked about how he had bore them up on eagles' wings. The picture there is an eagle taking care of its babies. And if they fall out of the nest, swooping underneath and catching it. God is saying, that's how I've loved you. That's how I've delivered you. And this law, these commandments are part of that love. He is showing his care for his people in his commandments. So, specifically tonight, we take a look at 10 of them. As we jump into them, we see that there are four laws, four commandments about our relationship and worship with God. The first four, four show the nature and character of God and how we live in right relationship with him. The six that follow show us laws for relationships in light of who God is and in light of our relationship with him. So first four about our relationship with God and who he is. The six after that are how we relate to one another in light of how he first cared for us. Before we jump into the 10 and walk through them, I want to point out two things. Before we even talk about the commandments, one of the reasons that we miss God's heart when we look at his law and his commandments is because we just think about us. We think individualistically. We think that God's laws are just a matter of guilt and innocence and my personal piety. But that is not the context in which God is writing these things, and it's not the context as we look at the commandments at face value. God is not just talking about us as an individual, He is showing us how to be the people of God together a kingdom of priests. So we are individualistic as Westerners, but we are seeing something that is written to a collective people. The other thing is that this all starts, as we'll see with the first commandment, about making sure that God is worshipped as the one true God. So we struggle with that aspect of the Ten Commandments because of how many other gods we worship. We may not have multiple golden statues in our house, but we bow down our lives. We give greatest honor, greatest attention to so many other gods. So first thing to keep in mind before we start, we're individualistic idolaters looking at the one true God's plan for his people. So that's a barrier we need to overcome. The second thing we need to keep in mind is this pattern of seeing the nature and character of our redeeming God. And then that informing how we act, that informing our ethics is laid out here, but it continues on through the New Testament. If we look at Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There in the New Testament, Paul is saying what God is about to say in his commandments and in all of his laws. In view of God's mercy, in view of his deliverance, offer your whole life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at each of the Ten Commandments. We are not going to extensively dive into each one because we'll run out of sidewalk chalk, okay? So we're not going to jump into each one. We're just going to hit very quickly on each one, looking for God's heart and what he wants us to do. And then we're going to talk about why this is important for us today. So verse 3. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. This is the basis and the foundation for not only the rest of the commandments, but for our very lives. There are so many symptoms, so much fruit in my life for not worshiping God above all other things. It is really at the heart of my sin when I don't put God first, when I put my desires first, when I put the things of this world, when I put the creation ahead of the creator, it it all comes back to this. And ultimately, if we don't get this first commandment right practically, if we don't offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to the one true God, we can forget about the other nine. It's not going to happen because our heart is going to be misaligned. Our heart is going to be towards the things of this world and is not going to see the one true God. This also sets us up for the rest because we see the nature and character of God clearly when he is our one true love. We see his love for us. We see his love and his plan for the world. We see his heart even behind his rules and so we worship him with our lives. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them or serve them for i the lord your god am a jealous god visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments God here in Commandment 2 is contrasting himself and worship of the one true God with idolatry and idols. As you read through the Old Testament, you will see time and time again God's pronouncement on idolatry. And he will compare and contrast the one true living God, the God who actually delivers... To idols which do not. I just came across this this week in my daily Bible reading in Jeremiah 10. God is pronouncing his judgment against the nations who have bowed down to idols, and he says, Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. I don't know what that means. That's not the important part. I don't know what a scarecrow in a cucumber stands for, but they're like scarecrows in a cucumber field. Here's the important part. They cannot speak. Their idols cannot speak. Their idols have to be carried by those that make them. Their idols cannot walk. Do not be afraid of these idols. They cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do any good. God is trying to save his people From worshiping the creation because the creation is a terrible God. It cannot feed them, it did not deliver them, and it cannot provide for them. Idols are futile when God is faithful. Number three, verse seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We often think of this as the commandment not to swear using the Lord's name, but I think that the Lord wants us to go a step farther here. And I I think we see an example of what this looks like in the Pharisees. In Jesus's time, who went on with their many words as they prayed, and did it in the public square so that others would see them and would think they were righteous because of their many words. They were using the Lord's name in vain. It was for their own self, their own pride, the way others viewed them, and it also did not reach the ear of God. We see in the Old Testament and in the New that our words, our humble and contrite and repentant words, reach The ear of God, but our prideful, self serving, vain words do not reach the ear of God. That's some of what's being talked about here when it says, Do not take the Lord's name in vanity. Number four. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. How many of you have work email on your phone? Raise your hand. How many of you have easy access to work email on your phone? Okay, that's a lot of us. How many of you are tempted to check it on your day off? Yeah, a lot of us. We find ourselves checking our email on our day off. Sometimes it's necessary. A lot of times it's not. The reason that we do that is because we think the world cannot keep spinning without us. Here, God is not just telling us to not work one day out of the week, though that is good advice. He is telling us that we need a day set aside in our week to remember that we are not God and that the position of God is taken and we need not apply. There's so many things that we do in our life that give us an illusion of control. We think that that anxiety can be overcome by checking that email on our day off to see if that email we've been waiting for has come in. There are so many things that we try to manage and make happen and control. It is so Opposite of what our hearts and our flesh want to take a day where we remind ourselves that we are not God, where we are not in control of all things. We need to look at the world that God has created and see that He is in control. And that the same God that created everything with a word, with a breath, with a snap of His fingers is still in control of the universe. That's part of what remembering the Sabbath means. It means resting from our work to remember that God is at work and we are not in control. It is about us resting in the work of God and the order by which he created all things. He is recreating all things and the order in which he will restore everything someday. We need a day to remember that he's in charge. We need a day to lament the fallen world we live in, but look expectantly to Zion that's described in the psalm I read today. We need a day that we remember who God is and where he sits. Okay, so there's the first four. These align us with the heart of God. They show us the nature and character of God and it gives us that view of God's mercy that Romans 12 that I read at the beginning talks about. That, those four, they give us a view of God's mercy. They give us a view of the nature and character of our God. Then we can jump into the rest, the next six. Number five, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. This commandment comes with a promise and it is also a fact of the way the world is supposed to work. I just want to point out one thing here. Not, we don't have time to dive deep into this, but as we look at God's word, he creates an order for the family. And when family is lived out an extended family is lived out in the way that he has set for it to go, Comes life and blessing and fruitfulness. When it is ignored and we choose to go our own way, there is always chaos and ruin and heartache. Now, we have to be aware that sin has brought us a fallen world. And sin has brought great suffering in the world. And sometimes our families are a mess and chaos because of suffering that we have endured and sin that has been done against us. We have to be aware of that. But we also have to be aware of God's design. God's design. They have shown time and time again, study after study, that kids that have contact with extended family are more well-rounded individuals. They're blessed. We honor our father and mother. Number six, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. This is valuing humanity because they are made in the image of God. This goes beyond just make sure you don't murder and goes to valuing all of life valuing others as made in the image of God so that we see one another as God's image bearers and we treat one another accordingly. This is also separating God's people from the savage nations that they are about to come in contact with. The Egyptians that they've come from, but then the nations they will come in contact with in the promised land that did not value human life at any age, And he's telling them, you will value human life. Because as we look at the nature and character of God, and we see in his word that we are made in his image, we will value that which is made in the image of God. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Again, this is looking at God's design for marriage one man, one woman married. Till death do them part, that's God's design. Again, it doesn't always go that way, but that is God's design. It's for the good of mankind. It's for the good of the offspring. It's for the good of the society. Number eight, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. There's something that goes on at my house when there's like the last of something left, like the last cookie, the last cracker, the last... Like swig of milk. There's like one thing left, and it's like all four boys have this sense in the back of their mind when there's only one left to like run at it at the same time and dive for it and just go after it. Sometimes I I feed my children. Just to be clear, okay, they get three square meals a day. They get three snack times during the day. They have plenty to eat. Okay, a couple of my boys, you can't even get them kids meals anymore. You have to order from the adult menu. It's crazy. They eat plenty of food, okay? So before I tell the story, I want to make that clear. I feed my children. But sometimes when there's one more of something on the table, they act as if they have never eaten before. They also act as if that thing is the last morsel of food in the county. And they attack it. And when they do, not only is there fights and quarrels all over the place, but A little part of my heart is grieved. Because in that moment, they think that mom and dad have not provided for them. In those moments, they think this is the last morsel of food and there can't be any more food. So this is our last chance to eat. There are times when that just grieves me. I want to say to them, don't you know that the fridge is full? By God's blessing, by God's grace, we have food. We don't have to worry where our food's going to come from. Let's thank God for that instead of fighting over the last cookie on the table. It grieves my heart because I have enough to give to them. This is the heart behind God's command to not steal. Because your heavenly father has provided everything that you need. You don't need to steal from your neighbor. You don't need to hoard the manna because I have provided all that you need. This is also reminding us, and we'll get in more to this in a moment, but this is one of the most stark examples of the fact that how we treat another person should be a reflection of what we believe about God and his provision. If you steal from another, it shows that you don't know the heart of God and you don't remember how he has provided for you. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It is foundational to the Christian life to love your neighbor as yourself and to, with your thoughts, your words, your actions, love that neighbor as you love yourself shall not not bear false witness. You shall not lie about a neighbor. You shouldn't talk bad about a neighbor. You shouldn't have negative thoughts about a neighbor. How we treat our neighbor shows how we see God clearly. And 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This harkens back to the grumbling and the fear and the not being thankful that God's people had in Exodus 16. The opposite of this covetousness is thankfulness and contentment in what God has provided you and also love for neighbor. Being thankful that God has provided what you have, but also loving your neighbor and being glad for them and how God has provided for them. These 10 commandments lay out for us not just a way to avoid crime. It's not just a matter of us being able to determine guilt or innocence in our own individual legal matters before God or in society, though it does that for us. But as we read this, it should be crystal clear That when we see God clearly, when we have a view of how he has delivered us, it should change the kind of people we are and the way we love one another in the family of faith and outside the family of faith. It should impact how you love the people sitting here in this parking lot and also working in these buildings and living in these dorms and walking on these streets. As we see the character of God, as we see how he has richly, out of his grace and mercy, provided for us, it changes how we love those around us. This is calling us to think about how our actions affect others. It's crystal clear here in the Ten Commandments. Though, before each of these commandments, we see the word you... It is talking to the individual, but God is giving them commands for each one to live out for the collective good. And boy, do we need this right now in our church and in our world. We so badly need to see the nature and character and the heart of our God so that we can know how to act in a world of chaos. Have you found yourself feeling paralyzed in the last four months? Knowing that you should have a response to what's going on in our world, knowing that you should see what's going on and have a response, especially as a Christian, but you either don't know what your response should be, or every time you speak about your response, it seems like someone is angry with you. We find ourselves in a world of chaos. We find ourselves in a world of complex problems that need complex, nuanced answers. And we're trying to make it super simple. And it's just not. It's just not. So as soon as we speak up about what's going on in our culture, we find ourselves alienated from even Christians around us. We need to know what to do in the chaotic times that we find ourselves in. We find it right here in God's word, God's character, and God's commands. Again, that. Terence Frothine, the commentator on Exodus, he says that the commandments serve to keep order in the world, restraining the forces of disorder so that creation does not revert to chaos. God is making a people for himself that no the heart of their God, they know how to treat one another and they know how to love a world that does not love their God. The commandments are bringing creation and order in a place of chaos and disorder. And it starts in our hearts. And then it moves out for the common good. I'll put it to you this way. What we need is an internal motivation for the common good. We need God to change something inside of us so that we can do good for others. Part of the problem and part of the reason that we can't come up with the answers or the actions or the responses that we need to take right now as Christians in a world of chaos is because we're thinking about how everything impacts me we're thinking about my individual rights my individual treatment how other people treat me how other people cancel me out if i say something we're thinking about us we need an internal change for the common good we need to take have god take the chaos that is in our own hearts and bring it to order so that we can bring order into a world that's chaotic we need God to change us. Romans 13:9 talks about this when it says, "O no one, anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, "You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet." And any other commandment is summed up in this word: "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What this means is that we can disagree about immigration reform and we can disagree about criminal justice reform and we can disagree how we go about solving the issue of racism in our culture, but we have no out for loving our neighbor. And Jesus told us a little story to teach us who our neighbor is. And our neighbor is anyone we come in contact with. And specifically those that are marginalized and don't look and act like us. That do not naturally come from our people group. We can disagree on what we should do about politics or what we should do as a society. But as followers of Jesus, we get no out. We love our neighbor as ourself. No excuses. We cannot look at the heart of God and ignore the plight of our neighbor. That's going to become crystal clear next week in part two, but it's clear enough here in the Ten Commandments. Look with me at Exodus 20, verses 18 through 21, to see the people's response when they had received the commandments. Exodus 20, verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The people saw the commandments and they saw the full power of God and they knew that they were not holy. They were in fear they knew that they needed a mediator. They needed another to speak on their behalf. They needed another to meet with God on their behalf. And so they sent Moses. They knew what Galatians 2.16 says when it says, by observing the law, no one will be justified. They knew right away that they could not follow God's commands and that this God was too holy. When we view this holy God, when we see what is on his heart, it can scare us. It can make us think, I'll never be able to approach a God like that. I'll never be able to live out what he is calling me to do. And that's exactly what we're supposed to think. We are not supposed to see the Ten Commandments and see it as a checklist and think, well, done with that, I'm going to move on. We see the Ten Commandments and it just shows us our need for a Savior Matthew five, seventeen through twenty the words of Jesus Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes of Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. God tells us here something about who he is, who we are. And the way the world is supposed to work. The Ten Commandments, the law, they show us the character of God. Jesus is the full revelation of that. And when we see it, we see that we don't measure up. We need a mediator. We need a redeemer. We need a savior. We need someone to stand in our place and go before God. And God offers himself. Jesus comes to be that Redeemer, that Mediator, that Savior, that sacrificial Lamb that came to take away the sins of the whole world. When you find in your heart that your love for God is not strong enough, when you find in your heart that your love for others is not strong enough, that's when we turn to the cross and a God that says, I know that you're different than me, I know that you can't live up to my laws. That's why I came and died for you, gave my very life for you. And then we can look at him and we can have a view of his mercy and it radically changes how we live our lives. We need to see God, his mercy, and the beauty of the cross so that we can know how to navigate the times we find ourselves in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for not leaving us to guess at what you are like or what we should do. God, I pray that you would do that internal work for the good of humanity. God, change us, make us into a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And as 1 Peter 2.9 says, All that we would proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us. God, we want to be your proclaimers because you are excellent, you are good, and we want to proclaim that as we are your royal priesthood, a people called by God. God, help us to look at your law and see your goodness, see your law's goodness, see our need for our Savior. God, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Amen.